Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We made this. Hello everyone and welcome to Make It So Supplemental, the Star Trek podcast here on the We Made This Podcast Network, in which we talk off piece and talk about various different things in more of a magazine format, where we just pick a subject and start talking about that. So joining me today is Darren Mooney. How are you doing, Darren? I'm good, which is probably the high point of the conversation we're about to have. This is as good as I worry I'm going to feel over the next hour or however long we end up talking. <laughs> yeah, I've picked a, an interesting topic to to talk about, really. There's a few things that's happened in the in the last couple of years. I mean, I know we've got the just had the writer's strike and the actor's strike, and they've all been pretty much um, eyes dotted and T's crossed at the time of recording. So things are going to start to move again in the whole ethos of TV. But um, it kind of led me to think about just how where, how and where we are with streaming. And I've just wondered, you know, bring it, to bring you on board to talk about that and to talk about in the scope of Star Trek, Star Wars and uh, Marvel and just how those three real big IPs de- are dealing with the streaming world, really, because it has, it has been an interesting thing. And... I just wanted maybe just to start with, what do you think to the way that Star Trek in general, this is a massive question, by the way, Star <laughs> in general. We're um, like we're softball, line yeah, me up with a softball. Exactly. <laughs> um, started from Star Trek Discovery, really, because you think about like sort of a few, few years back, Star Disco- Discovery comes out um, and then the lead up to like the 52 weeks of Trek, because that's yes. kind of where we get to, yeah. isn't it, at the beginning. So, um Star Trek in, in the streaming landscape from that period. What 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 did you, what do you make to to the way that that Paramount approached that? Well, again, this is the the thing about streaming. And again, you're right; it is a big question because you end up talking about the entirety of like streaming as an abstract concept. Yeah. But obviously, the the situation with streaming is absolutely nuts. Um, it feels like over the past couple of months or maybe even the past year, we've had a bit of a reckoning with the fact that this was never really a particularly viable model, particularly for like the studios as they exist right now. And we can get into the business mechanics of it later on. But what you have is you have a situation where Netflix, obviously, they enter the game early. Um, they're they're a disruptor. Move fast and break things, I believe, is the Facebook mantra. Uh, but it's the the philosophy of all these tech companies. They come up with the idea of basically streaming directly to your home and having this big pool, this library of content that you can just download and watch whenever you want. And the other studios, like they look at this and they get jealous and they wonder why can't we have what Netflix have? Why are Netflix paying us? a nominal license fee for this content and putting it on a streaming service and just raking in all these subscribers. Again, 
For these companies, it's the dream of passive income. The idea is that you don't necessarily have to release anything, but people will pay you on a monthly basis for the rest of their lives into this big pot of money that executives can like Scrooge McDuck around in. And so you have this idea of, well, you know, why can't Warner Brothers have a Netflix? Why can't Disney have a Netflix? Why can't, in this case, Paramount have a Netflix? And it very quickly becomes clear that if you're going to do that, what you need to do is narrow cast. If you're going to ask people to fork over, you know, depending on the streaming service, it initially starts at what, around like four euros, four dollars a month for something like Peacock. But, you know, now we're at a stage where we're looking at twenty dollars a month for Netflix if you want the high end subscription. But you're like, okay, if we're going to get people to fork over a regular amount of money for access to this library, we need to start adding new content to it because that's what Netflix has started doing again, 10 years ago, I think 2013 with house of cards where it wasn't just, you didn't just go to Netflix to watch star Trek, or you didn't just go to Netflix to watch like your back library of, you know, Seinfeld episodes. You went to Netflix and you binged all of house of cards. You binged Lily hammer. God help you. You binged <laughs> hemlock grove. Um, and like, so the idea was you could have these titles that you could advertise and would draw people and people would believe that they were paying into, you know, a regular pot and would get regular new deliveries of things that they like. And if you are the studios, you realize that you're never going to have access to a library of anything but your own content. So Warner Brothers are never going to have those Disney cartoons on there, for example. They know that, you know, Paramount is never going to get those HBO shows. What they do realize is that they have an advantage that Netflix, Amazon, Apple, and the other tech disruptors don't have, which is that they have a library of IP, which has brand recognition attached to it. And in particular, if you're talking about IP that has that level of brand recognition. And like you mentioned, Star Trek. Star Trek was one of the first to do it. Uh, CBS All Access. I'm old enough to remember when it was CBS All Access. (laughs) Um, But like you have this idea of this thing that people already recognize, this thing that people have an emotional attachment to. And you're telling them that for their $8 a month, they can get a new episode of that every week. They can get a new delivery in their inbox, watch it, and it will be to the standard of a feature film. And This is an interesting approach because, and particularly for Star Trek, because you're asking specifically about Star Trek, there is a very serious question to be had about like the the extent to which Star Trek can survive in the current television landscape. And again, broader debate about the state of linear television in general, whether you know whether it's dead, whether it's dying, whether it's in decline. It tells you a lot that the average audience of like linear television is watching stuff like, is it like NCIS, you know, one of the biggest shows on television, Criminal Minds, it tends to be people of an older generation. There's a question about whether or not Star Trek could ever, in the current climate, be sustainable in that market. Could you broadcast, you know, obviously UPN doesn't even exist anymore, but could you broadcast Star Trek Discovery on CBS? and have it be a hit? Would people watch it on one of the big three networks? Because you don't really have the model of syndication that you had for you know, Star Trek The Next Generation anymore. And I would argue that tethering Voyager and later Enterprise to the UPN brand was one of the things that led to the decline and collapse of the franchise. There were many, many different factors. I'm not saying it was the only thing, but I do think that if you look at the decline of Star Trek as a pop cultural force, the fact that it was tied to a television station that A, not everybody in the States could watch, and B, 
continuously had a brand identity that was very much at odds with what Star Trek was, whether in terms of like appealing to, say, African-American audiences at one stage or like embracing wrestling, those things that are not necessarily part of the larger Star Trek brand and don't scream if you're watching UPN, well, be sure to tune in for Star Trek this week. There is a question of whether or not you could Star Trek could survive in that. If you are streaming, theoretically, in the abstract, you are narrow casting. You're going, okay, you're going to pay me $8 a month and you're going to get back in return for that something very specific. You're going to give us the money. We're going to pump that money into production. We're going to pay to make this show. And the idea is if you're a Star Trek fan, you need a much lower base for a series to thrive on streaming as compared to on linear television. And if you want to get an example of that, just look at the the Nielsen ratings. Again, you'll see that like every single week, the originals, by and large, now there are exceptions, Stranger Things is a massive cultural phenomenon, but by and large, if you look at the Nielsen ratings week on week, you'll notice that like every week, the biggest thing on streaming, whether it's, I don't know, uh, Monarch on on Apple TV Plus, for example, or uh, Citadel. Remember Citadel on Amazon? Yeah. Those are just dwarfed by the number of people watching NCIS on Paramount Plus, (laughs) watching Yellowstone (laughs) on Paramount Plus. Like, it gives you a sense of how small the market is here. But at the start of this kind of streaming revolution, when the studios were first dipping their toes in the water, when they needed to win over a loyal, dedicated audience that would be there on opening day, and I'm including myself in this, who would fork over $8 a month, you go to the fans of the established franchises. You go to the fans of Star Trek. You go to the fans of Star Wars. You go to the fans of the Marvel the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and you count on that giving you a strong enough base that you can then hopefully build out your brand. And I think Star Trek is interesting because A, Paramount, well, what became Paramount Plus, what began as CBS All Access and what is now Paramount Plus, is not singularly dependent on Star Trek in the way that we associate, say, Disney Plus being beholden to the twin titans of the MCU and Star Wars. Mm. Whereas in the States, you know, Disney Plus has broken off into Hulu Plus and all this sort of stuff. Um, and over internationally, you have Star. Generally speaking, when you look at a service like, say, Disney, they have their anchor franchise and it's the MCU and it's Star Wars. Paramount Plus is not beholden to Star Trek in that way, which is kind of interesting. They do have a big pool of Star Trek, but they also have the Taylor Sheridan verse. They have their Yellowstone shows, their Yellowstone spin-offs. They have all the Comedy Central stuff in there as well. They've folded in Showtime since as well. And so Star Trek is kind of part of a larger pool there. But yeah, you pointed out like that thing that always stuck with me was they wanted to get to a point where you would have what you described as 52 weeks of Star Trek. I think they called it always on Star Trek. The idea was, and again, this is to maintain that pool of money. If you are paying $8 a month, and this is something that you're you're seeing at the moment, if you track the subscriptions of major streaming services, you'll see that people that the numbers ebb and flow depending on what's on them. So Netflix will always see a jump in subscribers the month that they release Stranger Things, and they'll see a drop in subscribers the month after they release Stranger Things because people jump on, watch what they want to watch and jump off. And particularly as those services have gotten more expensive, as cost of living has increased, 
as we live in an inflation crisis, as these services have spawned and multiplied like rabbits, uh, people are becoming more careful about how they spend their money. So that always on 52 weeks of Star Trek thing was a contingency plan. And the idea was that it would avoid a situation where I want to watch Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So I'd buy myself a subscription for, say, three months, you know, 12 weeks for 10 episodes. And then I drop off and I'm only on the service for, you know, a quarter of a year. If they have always on Star Trek, it's like, okay, well, I bounce straight from Strange New Worlds into the new season of Star Trek Discovery, into the new season of Star Trek Picard, into Prodigy, which I'm sure will get its own separate conversation here, uh, and into Lower Decks. And it just keeps me coming round and round and round. And again, it's you can see why when you pitch that in a boardroom, executives get really excited about it because it means you have a constant churn of subscribers invested in it. But I think over the past couple of years, we've come to realize that's not a sustainable business model because you eventually have to like pay for that content. <laughs> it's a great idea to have people continuously subscribe to your service, but making the stuff that keeps them subscribed costs a lot of money. And uh, money is a lot tighter uh, now than it was uh, three years ago, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think something you just touched upon there, which we can dive in a little bit, because I know we've discussed this before um, with the Stranger Things analogy, because Stranger Things, I think you said, was um, was all based on kind of like the old model, wasn't it? The, the network model where they were looking for the sweeps. But in this case, it's more a case of um, kind of like your, uh, your quarters, you know, the fact that you could yeah. see that they actually developed that, didn't they? And that was something that Netflix kind of switched to when they were starting to struggle a little bit. Well, this is the thing, right? This is this. We you mentioned that fifty-two weeks always on Star Trek thing, which is very important. Netflix's business model had always, always, always been: we're disrupting, we're we're break, we're moving fast, we're breaking things. We're just going to release all of the episodes simultaneously. We're just going to put them on, and people are going to watch them whenever. And we're just going to have so much content because we're leveraging so much debt because we're valued like a tech company rather than a studio. We don't actually have to show any return on this whatsoever. We can just keep making this and pumping it out. Now, what you've seen in the like years since, one of the examples of streamers tightening their belts is the idea that instead of just burning all of this content at once, instead of giving you 13 episodes of House of Cards on a Friday and waiting for you to just gorge yourself on them over the weekend and feel like really uncomfortable afterwards, um, they've come along the model of basically releasing weekly. That was the big thing that Disney Plus did yeah. with uh, The Mandalorian, where they moved towards going, okay, you'll get one episode every Friday and it'll keep you hooked. And Amazon had begun doing the Netflix model of, well, here's all of everything. Uh, and then kind of like move back towards, okay, we need to keep people engaged. So we do a hybrid model. We'll release the first three episodes of The Boys, and then we'll release the next five on a weekly basis, all that sort of stuff as well. And I think like Netflix have always been along the lines of, no, 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 no. We're we're hard and fast. We, we, we do it the Netflix way. The industry has changed to adapt to us. But you have seen the begum, begin to... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Compromise in ways that they wouldn't have done even three years ago. First of all, obviously, they've begun looking at doing live events, um, which are events that will be broadcast at particular times. So that's moving back towards the television schedule model. They've also begun uh, embracing advertising and all the other services have done this as well. They have lower... Uh, lower cost advertising tiers. And that's, again, moving back towards the old television model. What is your old television model? You watch a show and you get an advertisement. This is just that. Um, You've seen things like services, like, for example, um, Apple. Uh, No, not Apple. Sorry, apologies. Disney have done this. They did this with Ahsoka. They did this with Loki. Uh, services like Amazon did this with Rings of Power. They may also have done it with Citadel, I'm not sure. They've also begun scheduling them so, they, so that episodes don't drop at midnight anymore. They drop mm. in the middle of prime time. So you would watch Rings of Power at 9 p.m. EST on a Thursday. You wouldn't watch it at like one minute past midnight on a Friday, uh, which again, it's it's we're getting back towards the television model. But like to, to the point about Netflix, Netflix have begun doing things like they haven't really done that many new episode every week outside of things that they import like if they if you live in the uk and you watch say better call saul you get a new episode of that every week because that's coming from overseas and they're just taking it off amc and putting it on in real time they have begun splitting seasons um i believe a couple of their reality shows have started going weekly uh, as we are recording this, not to date you and me, Squid Game The Challenge will be coming out. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, the first five episodes will drop. Then next week, the next three episodes will drop. And then the following week, the next two episodes will drop. And that allows Netflix to avoid saying, oh, we're not going weekly. <laughs> That's for chumps. Instead, <laughs> we're doing three smaller drops. Um, and even things like, as you said, Stranger Things, which are scheduled around the quarters, which is really cynical. You'll notice that towards the end of the quarter or the start of the quarter, they'll drop Stranger Things because they need to bump those subscriber numbers. So when they go on the earnings call, they can say, well, actually, look, our closing numbers in this quarter were significantly higher than we expected them to be. Therefore, everything's grand. We will not be taking any questions. It's it's incredibly cynical. It is incredibly cynical. Sorry, sorry, Kurt. That was a long, rambly answer. No, no, that's fine. That's what you here for. <laughs> that's what, that's what I want, want to hear. Because, I mean, I think if we switch it back to Star Trek then, and just before, obviously, before those 52 weeks of Trek, you know, and to a point, it still was a struggle. Because I think that, the for me, the, the problem with Paramount that they had and have now returned to is that Picard was on Amazon, for example. And then you've got, you know... The fact the overseas, that, yeah, because they didn't. Yeah. The Paramount Plus didn't exist because overseas didn't until twenty two. Like was it last year? It was only last year. Yeah, it was only it, last right? year. Yeah, because it's uh, it's it within um, within my package. It's actually connected to With Sky, Sky movies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so movies and Paramount kind of linked together. And you, I'd say the movie franchises of Paramount, like the Mission Impossible's, are all on there as well. Paramount's got quite a decent film. Catalog, the offer, so. which is the very like, it's the most Paramount like show imaginable. It's like here's how Paramount made the greatest movie of all time, which you can also watch on Paramount Plus. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so they had like Picard. So they had to pull all of the Star Trek content. The movies didn't didn't have the rights to the movies and all that type of thing, and they had to pull them all together. But then you know, in this streaming world, you know, then Prodigy goes off and gets cancelled, yeah. and they were really pushing 
the home of Star Trek. And yeah. then that happened. So it is interesting just on this, like, sort of this wheel, this massive, like, Ferris wheel of, like, sort of on and getting on and off and, and things, which uh, which streaming is kind of, as you say, the upheaval that that's happening. And I find that, that that is really intriguing. I know there's reasons for it. And obviously, we won't go necessarily into the tax write-offs, but it is interesting <laughs> that, you know, P- the Paramount's PR never seems to be able to get this right. And it, I always find it fascinating from that perspective. Well, I mean, they've they've discovered that, like, one of the reasons why people bought Netflix was because everything was on Netflix. Like that was the thing. It was like you would watch for a while here in the UK and Ireland. Start and uh, Netflix was the home of Star Trek. You watch every episode of Star Trek ever on Netflix, for example. You could watch every episode of a bunch of animes on Netflix. You watch a bunch of like the most beloved TV show in India was on Netflix. All a thousand episodes, all that sort of stuff was there. Um, and that was what people liked about it. And the idea was, it was kind of self-important, was that each of the studios assumed that it's like, well, look, if people pay $8 a month for everything, well, then they'll give us $10 a month for our stuff, right? Just like, we'll silo it <laughs> off, we'll take it away. All the stuff that has the Paramount branding on it, all the stuff that has the Warner's branding on it, we'll keep it there and we'll put it on our own service. And they very quickly discovered that was not feasible. And again, the tax write-off stuff, Everybody knows this, don't need to go into it. A bunch of stuff that like Warner Brothers headed by David Zaslav were like, we're not even going to bother releasing that on streaming. We'll accept the write-off for it. What's more interesting is things like while they did that, services like Disney, for example, would just take movies and TV shows off. So they wouldn't have to pay residuals. Yeah. So they wouldn't have to pay tax on them. Like Willow has, de- and then like this is what's remarkable is you assume when you say that it's like okay, well maybe they deleted like some small indie movie that some guy shot in his phone for like a thousand dollars that nobody's ever heard of. Something down the bottom of like when like something like you watch at three a.m. when you've left your Netflix running for hours. And it's like no, they actually took this like you know, $150 million Willow adaptation is just unwatchable now, for example. Westworld disappeared from HBO at one point, for example. Um, movies, like, I think it's a Crater, which is the one starring McKenna Grace and Kid Cudi, or Kid Cudi. I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce that. I've never really said it out loud. Um, I hear he's a great musician. But, like, that movie was only on, um, only on Disney Plus here in the UK and Ireland for, like, 48 days before they <laughs> took it off, which is absolutely insane. And the question is, like, it gets back to that thing that you said, which is, okay, on the one hand, this approach of pay $8 a month to get access to the entire Disney library or the entire Warner's library, or to a lesser extent, the entire Paramount library was not feasible, right? That, you know, people didn't want to do that. They want to pay $8 a month to watch everything on Netflix, uh, which is understandably a more appealing deal if you're a consumer. But the question is, if you're selling Disney Plus or you're selling HBO or Max or whatever they're calling it now, uh, my name is Max. Um, But if you're selling Paramount Plus, what are you selling it on if you're not selling it on the brand? Like in most of those cases, with the notable exception of Max, the brand is in the title. So you assume if you're buying a subscription to Disney Plus, you are buying a key to the Disney Vault, which has been a huge part of Disney's branding for decades. It's this thing where it's like all of the Disney content is in the Disney Vault. We will occasionally let it out. And you're like, okay, but if I'm paying you $8 a month, I get to live in the vault, right? And they're like, I can live in a smaller vault out front. That's that's really the best (laughs) we can do. And as you say, like if you're 
if you're somebody who watches these franchises, these vast, gigantic things, which are all now interconnected, they all cross over, they all reference one another, they're all intertwined, the cast members cross over, there's all this kind of interwoven continuity, they're designed in such a way that if you watch one, you don't have to watch everything else, but you are encouraged to watch everything else. So the question is, if you break those things up and you start shipping them around don't you lose a large part of what the appeal of it was in the first place? And I know the answer to that is is a very simple, yeah, but that model didn't work. Like the, the reason why we're doing this is because that approach was not financially sustainable and was not able to keep these streaming services above water. But it's like, if you break that, if that was your one selling point for this entire premise and you've broken that promise, then what do you have to offer some of the Star Trek, some of the time, it's <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a it, it is a tough sell. I think it's it becomes these things become a lot more abstract and fungible, and I don't know what they are, which is odd. Yeah, I mean, just going on that as well, um, just the general idea that the Star Trek Prodigy is now on Netflix, and yeah. Netflix seems to be now the home, like you're saying, that that idea how Netflix kind of are the ones that shake things up a bit arguments like things like lucifer they'll just go and say right big fandom actually really you. really vocal yeah. fandom saying we want more of this thing why have you cancelled this if it's on network yeah. tv or whatever and netflix are going come to you, us cobra kai yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. yeah um which again as i say it's disruptive to the, to the thing and i think um kind of the one of the wider discussions I was wanting to mention is the the Hooniverse, which obviously now <laughs> has been in, 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 involved into into Disney now as well and and how they it, it seems to be a fascination and I, and this was one of the questions I was going to bring to you and that the Hooniverse is obviously you know it was a fan thing that people wanted to call it and they've taken that on board and now we're going to get um, if you listen to this in the main feed, you might hear this talk, us talk about this and all the specials are being out. But at the time of recording, the first one's going to 60th anniversary is going to be on Saturday. But um, you've got these things that are kind of all interconnected, all woven between each other. Um, and I think the fundamental question for me is like, so it's interesting with the way that Star Trek currently is doing it because you've got like what le this podcast is about this legacy podcast about the 24th and 25th century we will venture into strange new worlds occasionally and we'll venture into discovery but that's not our show that's we are starfleet show and we'll deal with that i'm very much in the star trek next generation deep space nine and lower decks and prodigy so you've got the worlds, generally speaking, I know the crossover Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks yeah, was an interesting yeah, one, yeah. but generally it's just like they're in the same universe. They've got different characters that will come in, but you don't need to necessarily see anything. You've got Star Wars and Marvel both going, you know, you've got this shared full breadth of universe and how can everyone keep their brains together? And then you've got things like Echo coming in where they're starting to say things like, Oh well, you don't need to see you don't need to see these things, and they're pulling back from that. So, even like Disney, and that's something I would want to really get your opinion on, really, with the way that Star Trek currently is doing it in that kind of disparate way that you can you can just watch whatever show you want, to be fair. But then you've got likes of Mandalorian and and all the other Star Wars stuff connected with Rogue One and the films, and also the fact that you've got something like um, you know the the Marvel stuff, which 
they are struggling at the moment. There's only one movie going to come out next year. There's, you know, they are kind of... And like, that's a Fox movie, basically. <laughs> well, yeah, it's yeah. Like... Um, so they're kind of going back to things like Fantastic Four and stuff because it feels like, like especially with the... the um, the kind of results of of Miss of the the Marvel film, you know, the, the um, oh my god, I've even forgotten the name of it. The it's, Marvels, it, it is the, the Marvels. I've been called Miss Marvels, is, but it's which the is Marvels. The worst film so. that could have failed for Marvel Studios. It's yeah. literally got the studio's name in it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so just all the disparate elements, really, and it's just interesting how they're all approaching it. And there is this seems to be this desire to pull back um, from everything. I mean, th- there is this sense that it's all homework. Like that's the big worry with these crossovers. Like the and again, this is the the Bob Iger thing, where a lot of people blame Bob Chapek. And to be clear, Bob Chapek not a great guy. His his management of Disney not a great time for the <laughs> studio. Lots and lots of unfortunate missteps, both in terms of like his engagement with Florida politics, his engagement with talent, uh, his ability to be decisive in a crisis. All of these factors. Bob Chapek, not great. What I'm about to say should not be misconstrued as a support. I'm not a Chapek head. Um, but. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A lot of the issues with Disney come back to Iger. And Iger's, again, it's the streaming thing. It's the idea of we want a streaming service. We want people to watch it. And what are our most valuable brands? So we will exploit those as much as possible. Disney Plus launches with The Mandalorian. The first episode of The Mandalorian was the first piece of new content on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Uh, it was a huge event. And they kind of just flooded the zone with content. And the idea was that, as we talked about at the start, you would pay, again, you chop in, you chip in eight euro or eight dollars a month and you would get access to it and you'd want to and you'd be excited. And like, look at the coverage. It, there was good coverage. Like the, well, I was around during WandaVision during the pandemic. Everybody was talking about WandaVision, you know, Falcon Winter Soldier, less so. Loki seemed to grab people, which was good. But like since then, it seems like it's been a case of diminishing returns. And talking to people, you know, there are multiple factors for that. The most obvious one being, you know, not everybody has Disney Plus. Uh, people are cutting access to Disney Plus. The pandemic is over, so people have less time to watch stuff on Disney Plus. A lot of the stuff in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I say this as somebody who loves a lot of stuff in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it is not very tonally uh, varied. So it does start to feel a lot like you are just opening your mouth like Homer and the Simpsons and they're just funneling donuts into it. There is a point where you're like, I've reached a threshold of how much of this sameness I can take. So there is a point where you- Do you think that that's- uh, that was going to be one of my questions. Do you, do you think that that's uh, a criticism you can fly at Star Wars as well, with like the Randors, the Ashkas, the Mandalorians, Boba Fett's, that they're all kind of the same thing? The house but, style. Yeah. yeah. They are. Like, I mean, 
not to not to get too much into the Disney thing of it, but it is worth noting that you begin you launch Disney Plus with a show that is a guy who looks like Boba Fett <laughs> yeah. and he hangs out with a guy who looks like Yoda. And I'm watching that and I'm going, well, at least it's not Boba Fett. Like it could be worse. It could be even more overtly nostalgic. And then the second season appears. And who appears at the end of the first episode of that second season? Real Bubba Fett. Yeah. So where do we go? We go to the Bubba Fett show. And in the Bubba Fett show, what happens to the Bubba Fett show? We take two episodes. We go back to the guy who looks like Bubba Fett, but isn't Bubba Fett in the Bubba Fett show. And I'm like, there's a point where this is just self-defeating. There's yeah. a point where I have had enough of people who look like Bubba Fett. Like, whether they are Boba Fett, whether they're not, but there is a capacity I have to deal with Boba Fett. And it's like, we have crossed that at some point, like, at the end of the first season of Mandalorian. And your response to that has been, but what about more Boba Fett? What about <laughs> real Boba Fett? Um, and, like, I do think it is a house style. Um, and absolutely, when you look at these shows, it is a house style. There's been articles written about the way that you shoot things for um, digital, uh, the way that you shoot things for streaming in order to maximize the efficiency of streaming, where you may, you want to control the variable bit rate, so you want to have like lighting in particular ways. You want to avoid certain colors, certain palettes, because those will fragment if the you know yeah. if the person watching doesn't have a good enough rate. If they're watching on their phone on a bus, it needs to be legible, so it needs to be something that is not. You know, it's not carefully designed and calibrated for a high end system. It's kind of like the same spec across the line. And I think more broadly speaking, there is a sense of as these go on, as and again, you're right. I think you're right that it is less true of Star Trek. Um, although I do think we should also acknowledge that like Strange New Worlds is very much a spin-off from uh Discovery. Yeah. And that like Star Trek Picard was supposed to lead to to legacy and all that sort of stuff. And like I think that, you know, you do have these crossovers that exist between lower decks and between Stranger Worlds. They are there and they do overlap, but they're not as intense as they are with these other shows where you could watch like those there are two episodes of the book of Boba Fett, which if you have not watched the book of Boba Fett, if you just watch The Mandalorian and you go from the end of the second season, uh, slight spoilers for uh, The Mandalorian <laughs> if you're watching along, jump ahead 30 seconds. It will literally take me about 30 seconds to cover this. Okay, so jump now. At the end of the second season of The Mandalorian, Luke goes away with Grogu, right? And then at the start of the third season of Boba Fett, as a third, third season of Mandalorian, Mando and Grogu are just hanging out again like nobody's <laughs> business. If you have not watched the six episodes of like the or nine, however many episodes, seven episodes of the Book of Boba Fett, you will not understand what is happening in the third season premiere of this show that you love. It is dazzling and confusing. Well, that and is exactly me because I didn't watch Boba Fett. Good and, choice. <laughs> and I watched Mandalorian and went. Whoa, Grogu's back. How did how's that happened? And there was just no explanation whatsoever. And no. I still don't know. And I don't really care now. But, you know, it's like, why? Okay, you're not going to talk about it? Reference it? No? No? Okay, whatever. It's because it's assuming that if you're watching one of these, you're watching all of these. Yeah. Like, there's an assumption that you are in for the law. Like, that was the assumption with the Marvel stuff, was that, like, we have you and you will just go and see everything. And to be fair, if you are Marvel, um, and I apologize, this is, a Star, this is a Star Trek podcast, but we're talking about Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you are Marvel, if you're sitting in Disney and you're looking at the figures, right? Look at that run that happens um, like in the late 2010, in like 2017 through 2019, mm. where like Thor Ragnarok clears like three quarters of a billion dollars. Like Ant-Man and the Wasp gets to like 670 million dollars. Like Black Panther is a 
phenomenon and i think that is a really good movie and it gets a best picture nomination but you look at it like say captain marvel and like i do not hate captain marvel i don't think captain marvel is a particularly bad movie or anything like that no i, like I also it. i don't think it's an amazing movie i don't look at captain marvel and go this is the platonic ideal of a superhero movie but it clears over a billion dollars so if you are marvel or you're disney you're like well look the obvious connection here to make is that everybody is going to see these movies because they feel like they have to. Like we have turned this into a long form narrative where people feel like if they're going to go see Endgame, they might as well go and see Captain Marvel. They might as well go and see Black Panther. They might as well go and see Thor Ragnarok. They might as well go see Ant-Man and the Wasp. So if you're looking at that incredible run going up to 2019, and to be clear, in the first seven months of 2019, Disney made more money than any studio had made in any complete year to that point. It was a like record-breaking year. Um, if you're Disney and you're looking at that, you're going, okay, well, then this is a viable model. What we want is if we just create more of this stuff, people will logically feel like they have to watch all of it. And I think, and again, this is impossible to know. Um, although I think if you look at the numbers and you step back, obviously every case is individual and unique and everything has plus and minuses and any hypothesis has to account for the result that they're individual movies that you're talking about. If you chart the graph, you can see that since let's, let's take fine. Let's take, uh, no way home as the end of COVID. And again, debates about healthcare politics aside i know the pandemic you know continued on past that point i know COVID is still a concern but if we're talking economically yeah. um assume no way home is a movies are back baby moment <laughs> because it's the first movie since the pandemic to gross over a billion dollars right now since then multiple movies have grossed over a billion dollars barbie's done it top gun's done it avatar has done it Somehow Oppenheimer has almost done it. Well, it's, um, it's almost done it, Darren, because you've seen it so many times now that you, you are you are single-handedly trying to get it over that billion mark. I am. I'm like, I can see it. I can see the horizon is right there. Having Put said that, though, it IMAX. is out tomorrow. So on, no, on I, own, I own it on digital. I already own it on digital. Yeah, I already have, I'm halfway through it. I'm, I'm watching it in the background as we podcast here. But <laughs> to, to my point, though, um, if you look at the superhero movies since then, just broadly speaking, the numbers have trailed down, right? So you go to you go from No Way Home to Multiverse of Madness. Multiverse of Madness, nine hundred billion, nine hundred million dollars, not nine hundred billion dollars. That would be obscene. Nine hundred million. <laughs> That's because dollars. I've That's... seen it so many times. It's a wonder. <laughs> I, 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 I actually, I really like Multiverse of Madness. I'm the one person who put my hands up and say I'm fond of that movie. But then after that, it's like, okay, so what, Thor Love and Thunder? It's like, okay, that's what, maybe 600 million? Uh, you're up to like Black Panther Wakanda Forever. That's like, that's got to break a billion. It's like, no, that's 800 million. And you're like, okay, that's still a good figure. And then you get into like the doldrums this year. And again, to be clear, not a uniquely Marvel phenomenon. I would argue that if you're tracing the box office plight of the superhero, you need to be looking at like Black Panther. Uh, sorry, Black Adam. Sorry, Black. Remember Black Adam? Um, the hierarchy of power did, in fact, change as a result of that movie. Um, it became the ceiling that no DC movie would pass. Uh, then you go into, say, um, Fury of the Gods. Uh, again, we're down. Jump to Quantum Quantum Mania, and we're up slightly, right? But we're still not. We're not passing five hundred million dollars. We're not into profitability. And this is a movie where Marvel have been telling everybody this is the most important movie in 
the franchise. Yeah. This is the one that sets up the future. A new dynasty begins here. This is our new Thanos. Come meet our new Thanos. Also, you all like Paul Rudd. Come on, come on, come on. Cause he come see the movie. Um, and that doesn't even get to like $500 million. Guardians of the Galaxy does remarkably well, but I would argue Guardians has several distinct factors working in its favor. Yeah. One, it's the finale of a trilogy that began 10 years ago. So a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm going to see that and say goodbye to my guys. Second of all, it's directed by James Gunn, who's not making movies with Marvel anymore, which is a problem. And third of all, it's a movie that is actually creatively and commercially distinctive from the other Marvel franchises. Yeah, I mean, that's a I whole of a podcast, isn't it? Like, yeah, talking about the, the, the director's and ship and how, you yeah. know, they might have had a bit of impasse. Because I think even like uh, the Marvels has had a bit of that happening as well, wasn't there? There's oh. elements oh, yeah. well, I mean, that's been reshooted and things like that. So And post-production stuff. Mm. But then like after that, you go to like the Flash, the Flash bombs, the Beetle bombs. Like the Marvels bombs, like it, it's 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 just a direction the franchise is going in, and I think that's a part of it is simply that people are there's these, these franchises are old now, like mm. superheroes are a fad that have been they've been arguably around you know they've always been around, you're going back to the 1940s the old Batman serials, um the modern trend really kicks off with say Blade X Men and Spider Man that makes it like 25 years old ish which is old. Even if you kick the MCU, pick the MCU as the starting point, that's 15 years ago. What trend or franchise has gone 15 years being the biggest thing in the world? And we we live in the British Isles. You and me, Kurt, will say Bond, but Americans didn't care about Bond for that long, to be fair. <laughs> and he also goes away for like seven years at a time. Um, so it's not at all comparable. And I do, I, but setting aside that question of like, is it that, audiences have simply aged out like if you go and see iron man in 2008 as a teenager you're making it you're too busy paying your mortgage to go and see the marvels in 2023 and if you're the kid of somebody who went to see iron man and is now paying off their mortgage why would you want to go see your dad or mom's favorite franchise like when in the history of like pop culture has anybody gone you know who's cool my parents you know what's cool the things that they like I don't think at any point in history, a major commercial movement has been rooted in, well, my mom and dad say it's cool. Um, so I think that is a factor. But I think the other thing is just saturation of the market, flooding of the zone. Yeah, which brings us back to the streaming thing, doesn't it? Because because you've kind of like, for me personally, on, on the Marvel side was that I was there, Endgame, great, you know, WandaVision, fantastic, good one for me to start with. I know there was a bit of jiggity-poggity because it wasn't going to be the original start but then they did it and and whatever. And they didn't know what the ending was going to be yeah. until they were there. <laughs> yeah. um, Hawkeye, Falcon Winter Soldier which I did not like at all but that, that didn't really stop me because I think that Captain America The Winter Soldier is one of my favourite Marvel films and I also think Captain America The First Avenger is one of my least favourite films so the dichotomy there is there but the, um, but the it's uh, the cohesion for me. I know that I get your argument and I, and I agree with it, but the cohesion for me was not there for the multiverse. It just didn't seem to be going anywhere. And then they seem to have lost the way that way. And then to bring in like, like some Moon Knight and things like that and She-Hulk and it just wasn't, even for myself, who was, I was really into the, Mar into the Marvel universe until Endgame, until WandaVision. Hawkeye was, I was still involved. Loki was great. Loved Loki. I haven't seen the rest of season two yet, but I'm getting there. I liked it. Um, and that was great. And then you bring in Kang and think, oh, okay, they're getting somewhere now and it doesn't really go anywhere. Then you've got the, obviously, the all the things behind stuff. the yeah, scenes yeah. that we, we won't talk about. Um, 
but yeah, so so for me, and and obviously having that inter in, like interspersion, like I was saying with with Marvel and the fact you've got all these movies and having to link it all together, is Star Trek in a slightly better position now, in that it has kind of gone beyond that, and it has kind of gone right. Well, the strike has affected it, and now we're waiting for a continuation and Strange New Worlds, you know, classic nineties style. Um, and Section 31 has become a, rather than a, a streaming show, has become a movie. So things like that is the, the way that the world has completely fracturized into the into this kind of weird Maya for all the franchises, as you say, the Marvel stuff and, and um, you know, Star Wars. I'm not quite sure where Star Wars actually sits right now, actually, if I'm being honest with you, but Star Trek's obviously looking at slightly different things, so it's interesting. Sorry, I, I hate that I'm, like, dragging you back to the Star Wars and Marvel <laughs> thing. I want to ask, like, just, because this is the thing with the streaming stuff and i think this is a problem for people who are not like you and myself don't do this for a living is that there are two competing things that are true about the streaming shows and they're true simultaneously the first of which is lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You feel like you gotta see them all. You do, like yeah. They, yeah. They, they really, and I know that the fact that they're now saying you don't have to watch Echo just really sends the message of, we wanted you to watch all of these. <laughs> um, so you're like, man, do I have to watch all of these? That's the first problem. There's debates just on our, on our Discord channel. There's debates actually happening behind the scenes of somebody saying, yeah, and I, th- and I think Tony mentioned this, the network chief for us, um, as you know, you know him well, um, argued this point on another podcast that you get the people who are actually saying you don't need to see it are the people who are actually so into Marvel that they've seen it all. Yeah. But then for the likes of us who might, well, not necessarily yourself, but for me who might not have seen a few Marvel shows over the last 18 months, I'm going, do I need to see anything from Mrs. Marvel? Uh, I keep saying Mrs. Marvel. Um, from um, the Marvels, you've got the element saying yes, yeah. and then you've got the other element going, well, not really, but it adds to the to the depth. And my OCD brain in that is going, I need to watch it, so there I'm not. Therefore, I'm not going to watch it because I don't want to get too involved. But but then the paradox of it is that like the other side of that is that even. Again, if you're not somebody in the business like we are, and I say that as if I have a clear answer, I don't have a clear answer. <laughs> I'm just like, I think I have an inkling. So I'm like, if I'm confused by this, what does the regular audience or what do my mom and dad think? 
they it's not that they're setting up one thing like that's a, with the infinity saga or whatever it was thanos mm. and i know i know that thanos was a last minute joke thrown in by joss whedon i know that it was largely improvised as they went along i know things like the infinity gauntlet in asgard proved that there was no greater plan or purpose to it but it was like we know where we're going we at least know we're heading in a big purple themed direction <laughs> with this franchise Whereas, and I know, you know, the Kang dynasty provides a framework for all this, but it feels like if you watch the shows, they're setting up like a dozen different things. Like, are we doing Young Avengers? Because we're, we're setting up like we've got Miss Marvel, we've got Condor, we've got like Hulkling, we've got Hawkeye. Like, are we doing a Young Avengers? Is that what I'm meant to be yeah, watching? Is true. that what I'm paying attention for? And it's like, no, no, no. But what about Kang? It's like, should I be paying? Okay, so I should be paying attention to Kang, right? That's what I should be doing. It's like, no, 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 no. Hold on. What about, what about Julie Louise Dreyfus? She's also doing some stuff. She's in a bunch of the scenes as well. She's going to be doing something down the line. It's like, so which of these balls am I watching? Because yeah. it's not like Julia Louise Dreyfus shows up at the end of uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier. And it's like, okay, well, her plot is going to play out in three months in this movie where she'll be the star. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, she's also going to pop up in Hawkeye or she's also going to pop up in Black Panther Wakanda forever. Uh, and maybe she'll pop up in the new Captain America movie. We don't know. What's the plan here? Um, like it, That is the thing where it's like, where are these things going? Where do they connect? And it feels like they're kind of branching in ways where it's like, if I want to follow particular characters, and this is something that is arguably reflective of comic books as a whole, if I'm following particular characters, I should just be watching these particular shows. I don't need to pay attention to these other ones. Yeah. But nobody tells me what those shows are. So it's like, if I just want to follow like the Julia Louise Dreyfus stuff and don't want to follow the Kang stuff, here's what I should be watching. If I want to follow the Kang stuff and don't care about Julia Louise Dreyfus, I don't know why that would be the case. Because like, okay, that's what I should watch. It's like, there is no sense of, there is no sense of here's where we're going. Here's what this is doing and here's where it fits. And just before we move off this, um, you asked about the Star Wars stuff. I think you have a weird situation where studios have gone so all in on this streaming stuff that is beginning to impact their theatrical releases. Yeah. And again, you don't have to, to be clear, you do not have to have watched Miss Marvel to see the Marvels. You can follow it fine without it or whatever, right? Uh, I do think those people who are saying it might add a bit of depth, they're right. Uh, I also think like Iman Vellani is great and she deserves all the good yeah, things in the world. She's getting great um, plaudits everywhere. Everywhere I've not heard one bad thing about, about she's, her. She's, so. she's, she's really great. Yeah. I do not care for the movie, but she is phenomenal. But the thing is that like, that is a movie that creates the impression that you have to have watched the show to watch the movie, right, which yeah. is really weird. It's like it makes the audience for the movie smaller. And to the Star Wars stuff, right? which this is the thing that blows my mind. And look, maybe they'll change this. This is something I I have to imagine Disney have realized the iceberg that they're steering towards. But there was a plan to do a big theatrical released crossover of Heir to the Empire by Dave Filoni that would focus on bringing together the various threads of like the Mandalorian, the Book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka Mm. and doing it as the first theatrically released Star Wars film since the rise of Skywalker. Now, I have to imagine in Disney, they're looking at the numbers for the Marvels and going, eh, maybe spending, you know, several hundred million dollars on uh, a movie that feels like you have to watch a bunch of streaming shows beforehand isn't a financially viable model. But it is completely insane that that's where we're ending up. And I, I do think to bring it back to Star Trek, I think that that's that'll be a good thing is that like Star Trek's film division has historically been separate from its TV division. Um, so I kind of suspect that if Star Trek ever comes back to the cinema, it will be completely separate from 
Paramount Plus is streaming, and I know that might upset some fans of the show who want everything to be connected, but I do think it would probably also be healthier for the franchise. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's the difference, isn't it? That's another thing I was going to mention, because actually, um, as we talk, the, there's been a few articles, because um, Chris Pine's doing a few rounds now, now that the strike's over, and he was directly asked about Star Trek Four. And so they've seen any script. He went, of course not. He says, I've heard nothing. I've heard, that's just like, no, I don't know anything. But that is an interesting dichotomy, isn't it? Because you've got Star Wars that has that has this this thing. I think they aren't they doing like a, a and forgive me for for not knowing my Star Wars law because I'm not as ventured into it. But oh, I, I'm, sort of, I'm not an expert either. So. Uh, like Knights of the Old Republic, they're doing like an Old Republic story set thousands of years yeah, before it and things look- and. Keep in mind they keep announcing and cancelling movies. Everybody, yeah. everybody in Hollywood has at one point or another had a Star Wars movie and had and had it taken off them. Like Taika Waititi, for example, Damon Linlaw, for example. Mm. I remember when Patty Jenkins like rollerbladed to an X-wing, and it was like that was going to be her next movie, and that's not happening anymore. Or maybe it is happening. It'll happen at some point in the future. We don't know. Well, we're having like, the same. We're having the same with Star Trek movies, aren't we? Yeah. Because there's been like the Tarantino oh, movie, then yeah. the then the, the guy Noah Hawley movie. Yeah, that, that, that's the one that I'm like really, I really wish we had. That's the one that's like it was about a disease. It was going to be a Star Trek movie without a villain, which is incredible. Um, and obviously, post pandemic, they were like, yeah, we feel like maybe maybe uh, the world's not ready for a movie in which our heroes have to fight a virus. But yeah. like that was the one that sounded completely insane, where it's like, we're going to do a Star Trek movie and it's going to be about a pandemic and uh, the villain is going to be a virus. And it's like, oh, that's amazing. Give give me, I want, I want that, that movie. I want that movie. I'm, I'm, I am so, I am so canned out. I am so <laughs> yeah, canned out. Yeah. Yeah. And give me something like that. 10C, I thought was a great idea until it wasn't. Um, you know, but and then it was like, oh, they're mining stuff. I was like, oh my god, it's become a galactic thing. Just make it about something, you know. The idea of um, you know warp, you know, the whole idea of uh, not being able to use dilithium because it's it's really restricted now was a great idea. But then you've got to do something else with it. Yeah. And as much as I and we won't get into this debate because we we have had this debate off air. But like Picard season three, I really like Picard season three, but it does have a Khan element quite significantly. Yes. yes so, so, yeah, and then um, even like Lost Lower Decks had yeah. Khan, which I get to a degree because it's obviously getting into Star Trek Three, but oh, it's not quite not quite the same. But anyway, but there was that Matt Shakeman film as well. Uh, that was that was he was going to do some some work. So yeah, so there's, the Star Trek has that like kind of as you say that distance. Remember Tarantino was going to do was it like a piece of the action? Wasn't that the thing? Tarantino mm-hmm. was going to do like an adaptation of a piece of the action of a feature <laughs> film, which I'm kind of on board with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's weird. But um, but yeah, no, it, um, that's the type of thing that I find really fascinating because like the one thing that Star Trek has apart, I mean, obviously you will have Star Trek Nemesis went into Picard, for example. So maybe maybe that element of it there's there's some connectivity with the movie franchises because data was so hard like pushed into that universe using all that element in Picard season one wasn't it so they do still have that connectivity with the movie universe they do but it's it's not like they're flowing in and flowing out like you could yeah. probably watch like the first season of Picard does a good job of explaining data's dead now yeah. um like that's that's sorry that's well, spoilers well, data, for the first season is, of data is dead isn't he he is dead <laughs> <Yeah>. though <laughs> Can can you hear the sound of winking on a podcast? Um, <laughs> that is the question. Um, but yeah, I mean, oh, I forgot about that. 
Anyway, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, to, no, not, I'm sorry not, for the flashbacks. Not, not at all. <laughs> um, but like it, that, that I think is, is an acceptable thing. It's much like saying the way that Star Trek The Next Generation built off the existence of Star Trek The Motion Picture, right down to its design and stuff. I feel like that stuff you can get away with. It's just like, it would be different if it was like, okay, the cast from the first two seasons of Star Trek Picard are going to be your new Star Trek movie cast. Mm. Isn't it great? Doesn't everybody love them? And I say that as somebody who's like one of my primary objections with the third season of Star Trek Picard is that it just jettisons the cast the first two seasons. I, I do not like it's I don't I'm not disparaging any of those characters in any way, shape or form. But I do think it's a different thing if you're going here are the characters, you know, and love from a streaming show uh, that you probably haven't seen. It's a very different energy from, well, this movie has at this stage been around for, you know, 19 years, wasn't it? When the first season of Picard came out, maybe yeah, it was like uh, that, yeah. 18 light years. Yeah. You probably had time to see it. If you haven't, you've had it spoiled for you. If not, you only need to know these, you know, these two cliff note facts about it or this one cliff note fact about it. And the other fact we draw from is like the Star Trek 2009 destruction of Romulus, which was one of the most financially successful Star Trek movies and arguably the first time that it was a proper blockbuster since, I guess, Star Trek 4. Um, and I think you can get away with that. I think that's a slightly different thing than, you know, going, here are the cast of these three streaming shows. Come see our new Star Wars movie. It's the first one since The Rise of Skywalker. Um, yeah. I mean, go full circle on that then, because if you look, look in, because as I say, we're, we're obviously focusing a lot on Star Trek because it's the Star Trek podcast at the end of the day. But looking at Netflix again, like, as I say, with like the Picards of the world when uh, or Lower Decks or whatever, or even Prodigy like we've got now, the Jessica Jones kind of stuff and the Luke Cage and all that aspect before the Marvel, the Marvel Universe changed kilter and, and went on to it because that was kind of like the way that they would do it, the streaming. It was very similar to the way you would have some maybe some network television shows when, like you say, an NCIS would cross over or Hawaii Five O would cross over where it's like they've done their thing. Remember that incident in New York? And it would be like more of that and it is in the world <laughs> but not actually ever connected. Yeah, it's and you get a guest star for like one episode at a time, and it was very clear that they blocked out time in the schedule, and that they were absent from their own show for that one week or whatever. Mm. Like again, th- like those early Netflix shows weren't all great. To be clear, I have seen Iron Fist. I'm not going to pretend <laughs> that they're all great or even good. Yeah. Um, but I I do think there was kind of something old fashioned TV about them that isn't the case with the streaming shows that followed. Um, I do think like, and there was arguably more variety in tone. Mm. Where like I I cannot imagine something like the first season of Jessica Jones. And to be clear, that first season has its issues. Like they spend four episodes discovering that Kilgrave's weakness is. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic. When I can, I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. He doesn't like being sedated. And I'm like, like <laughs> many it's like people his don't. Achilles, <laughs> yeah, his, his, his Achilles heel is anesthetic. Um, and I'm like, I feel like. I feel like that would work on most people. I feel like I didn't need four episodes to get to the point where, like, shock reveal, if you dose him with anesthetic, he will go unconscious. Um, but I, I love that season of television. I think it's a phenomenal season of television. I think it's incredible. And I do not think you would get that through the Disney 
streaming services today. Can you imagine pitching this is going to be a metaphor for sexual assault and the trauma of sexual mm. assault, the consequences of sexual assault? It's going to be a study of like what it's like to be subject to the male gaze. It's going to be an exploration of like toxic masculinity and violence and self-destruction and addictive behavior. Can you imagine pitching that to Disney and going, yeah, so that's what we figure our um, six episode uh, uh, Captain Marvel TV show is going to be about. You would you would not you would be asked to leave the building by the roof. Yeah, Um, like you would not get through the lobby again, um, which is insane. And it's, it's really sad and it's really disappointing. Like all those shows have distinct identities. Now, you can argue whether those distinct identities are good. Um, sorry, Iron Fist. I'm just giving Iron Fist a kicking here. But like, you can tell that like Chio Hidari, Hidari Koki, uh, who's the guy who wrote uh, Luke Cage, mm. like you can tell that that man loves black exploitation, and he has a clear affection for it, and it permeates every single aspect of that show from top to bottom. Uh, you can tell that, for example, like Drew Goddard or Stephen Knight, who ran the first season of Daredevil, that they. You know, they have their interests in like New York and gritty New York urban dramas. And it's like, okay, well, that's what the show is. And again, like the Jessica Jones stuff that we talked about, whereas I look at something like, say, Hawkeye, which is ostensibly set in New York City, you know, largely shot in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, but that has none of the same character or perspective. It has no point of view. Um, it feels like it comes through the whole process. It it, it comes and again, a large part of that is down to the fact that to bring us back full circle, we talked about streaming. We talked about uh, the idea of like studios consolidating content uh, in order to you know attract viewers. It also allows them to uh, amortize costs as well. So you you'll see if you watch the Star Trek shows, you'll see that they use a lot of the same sets. Yeah. On the different shows, like the Shenzu, for example, has been cycled through countless, not even not even Discovery, the Shenzu, the first ship from the first episode of the streaming era has been cycled through so, so, so many times. I believe the Titan is basically a remodeling of like the Shenzu interior. Uh, The briefing room, I think, is very explicitly the captain's ready room. Mm. If you look at the layout of the set, they're using the same sets over and over on Star Wars. You have the idea of using the volume, right? And this is like one of my favorite examples of this is that the what was it? It was the um was it the Obi-Wan show? Or was it the third? It, maybe it was the third the Mandalorian. But basically there was a hold up on the volume uh that basically just like chock-a-blocked the Disney Star Wars shows. Yeah. Because one of the shows ended up overrunning its use of the volume. You had a situation where, like, the the show behind them in the queue was like, can you move up? Whatever you're doing in there, hurry up. Make sure you clean up after yourself, too. There was the sense, like, they're using the same spaces. They're using the same props. They're using the same special effects assets. They all look and feel the same. They all have the same texture. And so as a result, they tend to feel quite samey. And, like, the term I use to describe it is content soup, where it's like, Accepting that you know the characters are different and accepting that the uniforms are different. It's like if I were to show you an episode of Strange New Worlds and then I were to show you an episode of Discovery and then I were to show you an episode of Picard, would you know that they're different shows outside of the rotating primary cast? Like in terms of like their set design, in terms of their costume design, in terms of their cinematography, the special effects used, would you know that they're different in the way that like Deep Space Nine is 
functionally and fundamentally different from Voyager in the way that, say, I think Voyager is arguably different from the look and feel of Enterprise. Um, I, I don't know that you would. I don't know that that's mm, the case. Yeah, I mean, you've only, um, just to put this into the, the works as well, just because obviously, you know, we need to be fair, that yeah, that's Star Trek fair. Six is basically the next generation. Yes. Because <laughs> yeah, they, they've got fair. a ready room and and everything like that, haven't they? They repurpose that. And obviously the Klingon Bird of Prey, which is the, the famous explosion one, which happens <laughs> yeah, in about 15 every, different times. Every time. Well, again, like the great example on uh, Deep Space Nine of the Inter-Arma Enum Silent Leashes, where like, I love that I just rattle off. The only Latin I know is Star Trek titles. But like where Bashir goes to a conference on Romulus and they just use the Voyager sets. Which <laughs> yeah. is a really, it's a really great use of space, to be fair. Yeah. But it it does really feel like everything has the same aesthetic, though. Like it, it feels like, you know, it feels like if you lit the set slightly differently, the the Enterprise set on Strange New Worlds could be the Discovery set. It could be the uh, sets on Star Trek Picard. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, let's say that it was quite dark. The cinematography on um, on Picard, but you, you could still, <laughs> as you say, you're right. You could still say, and even to the point where you know you've you've even got. Uh, Lacano mentioning about carpets, you know, and that seems to be the recurring theme. Um, let's bring it back to Star Trek then, and back to streaming, because you know we talked about Star Wars and and, and Marvel and and the way that that's all kind of lined up, and obviously previously how Jessica Jones and the like. But looking at the actual specific shows themselves, like so, if, as Discovery came in, you know, you had that it was a 10 episode then it was a 13 episode then things kind of manipulated around and showrunners came backwards and forwards and full yeah. and, and the, different the trauma on the set as well like apparently not yeah. a happy place to be for those first two yeah. seasons either yeah. and then you you eventually get to the likes of strange new worlds which is generally mis- uh, episodic with a character arc in there Lower Decks is kind of going back to nostalgia in some ways, but has now got some characterization in in the arc in which it's doing, and Picard is a bit more serialized. So again, going back to these uh, kind of the the things in which they're doing, and as they going back to maybe even Section Thirty One, which is more a case of Academy Award winning actress. Um, it's <laughs> quite busy at the moment, maybe. Um, but yeah, I, just... I don't. I don't know if that's the only factor at play there. To be fair, I imagine looking at like how the other streaming services are reacting to the streaming crunch. There's also a case of we would really like not to make ten episodes of this. If there was a way that we could pay for two episodes of this and release it as a movie, that would be very beneficial to all of us. Yeah. Um, so how do you think about the way that they've actually done that then? Because the, I know I've argued that case to you earlier before, but. Just the fact that they are they, they are playing around a little bit more. I mean, Prodigy's obviously an ongoing story as well, I suppose, but just they're playing a little bit more in that wheelhouse. And other shows are doing it. You know, like, you know, as I say, Mandalorian is, yeah. is like a Western going episode through every week, episode, yeah. isn't it? But it is interesting how, how Star Trek are approaching that to a, to a degree. It is. I mean, I, I'll put my hands up and I say that, like, I... I find myself somewhat skeptical of Strange New World. I I feel really disappointed when I'm on this because I sound very skeptical about everything. Where it's like it feels like the franchise is no longer really experimenting. Where you know, you and I may differ on the first season of Star Trek Discovery. I think the execution leaves a bit to be desired is my diplomatic way of phrasing it, but I think that that is a season that is roaring with ambition. Yeah. It is trying well, something I, that I Star agree. Trek has I never actually, done before. Up until yeah. the Mirror Universe, because I'm not a Mirror Universe fan, up until the Mirror Universe fan, it's a very, very strong season. I, I think it's yeah. a great season. So, uh, 
But I think that that's the point where the franchise is trying new things. And I know, obviously, what's happening with Brian Fuller at the moment makes him a complicated figure to talk about. But I think it is also very clear that he is he was at the time trying to do something that Star Trek had never done before. And something that when he was on Voyager, he had kind of wanted to do and not been able to do to push the franchise in a direction where it had not gone. And this is one of those fundamental issues with streaming. It's a structural issue and it reflects the audience and the relationship to the audience where we talked about it at the start. If you're on streaming, you are by definition not broadcasting, you are narrowcasting. Your target audience is people who are paying $8 a month to watch your show. Um, and therefore, they are people who already know what they like from your show. You're not trying to capture people who are flicking through television at like 8 p.m. on a Saturday night looking for something to watch or whatever, 8 p.m. on a Friday. You're catching somebody who is there specifically because they want to watch Star Trek and specifically because they have an idea of what Star Trek is. And that works for some people, and I'm very happy that it does. I have always wanted to watch Star Trek and be like, this is Star Trek? Like, I don't want to go, this, yeah, th- this is Star Trek. I want to go, this is Star Trek. Hmm. I want to be surprised. I want to be confronted by it. I want to see something that doesn't look like Star Trek did before, that does something that starts, that boldly goes, even one might see where no Star Trek has gone before. Um, that is trying new things. I think of like Deep Space Nine, for example. I think of yeah. Next Generation. Next Generation was radical. When Next Generation aired, everybody was like, this, why is why why is the meeting room one of the most important sets on the show? Why is this bald guy talking so much? Why won't he just rip his shirt open and punch somebody? Um, you know, you go to Deep Space Nine, it's like, well, they're not boldly going, they're boldly sitting. They're just like they're just staying in the same place. It's, they're not trekking at all. Um, and then it's like, oh, there's a war. What's this? What this is not what my Star Trek's meant to be. And as obviously Star Trek becomes narrow cast, as it starts aiming more and more at the fan base, as it starts aiming at people who already love Star Trek and already know what they want from Star Trek, it starts tailoring itself to that. And this is something that just happens on streaming in general. It's not unique to Star Trek. I don't yeah. want to sound like I mean, I also don't want to sound too cynical about this, but you do have things like you look at, you look at, say, the the Star Wars streaming shows, and we get that we get that journey that I mentioned, which is the Mandalorian starts, and you're like, oh, God, it's a Boba Fett clone. And then they're like, you know what? It's not a Boba Fett clone. It's actually Boba Fett. Yeah. And you're like, oh, like, and then it's like, what if Obi Wan had a TV show? And I'm like, really? And I'm like, what if that guy from like from like Rogue One? What if he had a show? And I'm like, really? And then it turns out to be the best thing in the history of television. So I'm like, okay, fine, you get a pass on that one. Yeah. But I I do think that like as these shows go on, you start seeing things like obviously Picard comes back, and when Picard starts, Stewart is very clear. For him, this is not a nostalgia project. He doesn't want to play the hits. He doesn't want to go back to the next generation. He doesn't want to like try and party like it's 1994. He wants to do something new. But it is still Picard. And it also features Seven of Nine. And you have guest stars, Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spiner, Marina Sirtis. Like you have this idea of like, we're already getting drawn back into the gravity of it. Yeah. And then you go into the second season Discovery and it's like, okay, well, here's Spock. And here's Pike. And here's the entire cast of The Cage. Like, this feels very nostalgic. It's like, no, 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 wait. What if that was an entire show? 
What if every week you hung out with the cast from that TV show, that pilot that nobody got to see in 1964? And you're like, this feels very fan servicey and in joke. You're making a TV show that NBC refused to make in the mid 60s. And they're like, no, 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 stay with us. And I think that is what is um, frustrating to me to a certain <laughs> yeah. extent about the state of the modern franchise and Star Trek in particular is that I look at things like, say, the episodic structure of Strange New Worlds, and that I have no problem with episodic television. Episodic television can be phenomenal. It can be great. It's a great way to structure a season of television. Uh, Individual episodes of television are phenomenal. Uh, Writing an episode of television is an art form. Uh, It's a craft unto itself. No disrespect to episodic television. Uh, We've talked about Millennium. We've talked about the X-Files. I love television that is just a good episode of television. I don't know watching Strange New Worlds that the people are doing that because they believe that episodic television is a good thing. I watch it and I'm like, they're doing this because between 1986 or 1987 and 2000 and say three, uh, the default mode of Star Trek was the single episode of television on a weekly basis. And so this is designed to remind me of that. And I'm like, that's not the reason to do this. Don't do not do this because you used to do it. Do it because it interests you. Do it because it's a good thing to do. Do it because you do it well or have something to say. Sorry, this is this has been a very dark rant. I it's fine. It's fine. No, that's what I say. That's why it's good to, and, it's good to have these debates. Because I'm And thinking, I didn't even talk about the third season of Picard. Yeah, <laughs> I know. You've done well. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking generally because the um, it goes back to a couple of things that, that I've, I've been thinking about while you've been talking. There, and it's, it's definitely worthy of academic academic study to be fair but the um you know just the very fractured nature of the way that the world is in general that that everyone's siloing off into their own little aspects and you know you can look at it sociologically you can look at it you know across the political spectrum you can look at across tv shows streaming and, and the like and like you say narrow narrowing that that thing to say like we are going to be the home of star trek and then not end, ending up being the home of star trek and having those debates and you know the the more you silo, the more emotional that people will get because, you know, you, you you really want interested in that. And it stifles, it's almost a stifling in some ways. Um, I mean, this is coming from someone who actually loves, you know, Star Trek in general. So it's not like me dissing Star Trek, but there's no one taking those risks like the Deep Space Nines because they don't feel they can because it becomes more of a business decision. And especially given the Prodigy stuff for me, that's where the business aspect and it's not that look this has not been anything new we've talked about bob Iger before you can talk about twin peaks and killing of laura palmer and who yes. killed him that 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 was a direct yeah, that was a bob, bob Iger decision Iger that was decision. like i need you to solve this mystery and they're like if you solve the mystery you kill the show it's like i don't care solve the mystery and they killed the show yeah and the producers and the like so it's always going to go down to that business thing and if you've narrowed the focus so much down to these silos that you know and and the implosion that that has then factored in now, like you say, bringing adverts back and almost going back to that TV aspect of like, actually, do you know what? I watch ITVX now uh, on an app and they've got adverts in. And I was like, I was watching Love and Death the other week and I thought, do you know what? I'm just going to watch them with the advert. It's fine. Some people have different roads on that, but it is feeling like... The, the, we went a of, long way around to get back to where we were. <laughs> yeah. And we, we, you know, it's getting from there to here, Darren. That's what it is. It's getting from there to here. Um, <laughs> it's been a long, <laughs> but our time is finally near. It's ne- finally near. But yeah, but it doesn't seem that, that 
it's the chance, it's the risk. Like a Tarantino film would be would be amazing to see how Tarantino looks at Star Trek, but it, that wasn't to be. But something like that, something that just throws something into the air and go, actually, there's something. Let's see how that transpires, and it becomes the next big thing. And it has to be standard IP. I think um, is it is it uh, the Freddy's film that's out at the moment that looks Five Nights at Freddy's. Five Nights at Freddy's is doing really well. That's a new standard IP, and like maybe that may be linked into what you were saying before about the Marvel generational thing that that yeah. you know that they're finding well, it's, it's their kids. own thing. It's, it's, so. This is something for kids. This is stuff the kids and again. It's like the Mario Brothers thing, where it's like there hasn't been a Mario movie released in cinemas since like nineteen ninety three. Uh, 1994, whenever that Bob Hoskins movie was released. <laughs> so it, it feels fresh and exciting. Same thing with Barbie. Barbie is obviously an IP, one yeah. of the most recognizable brands in the world, but there hasn't been a Barbie movie before. So it's like, this is fresh and exciting to kids. Um, that That's the kind of thing. I think you mentioned Prodigy, and I guess we kind of put it, we flagged this earlier. We were going to talk about it. We're going to have to talk about it. I think it's, it's the Prodigy thing that kind of stings with that regard. You mentioned the you mentioned the lack of a Deep Space Nine or the mm. fact that you'll never get a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek movie. Prodigy is kind of the proof in the pudding of that because when you go to streaming, and again, I am thankful for the fact that Star Trek has survived on streaming as long as it has. Uh, I mentioned I love Andor. I think Andor is amazing. I love Loki. I am not opposed. I'm not painting every streaming show with this same brush. I'm not saying everything on streaming is evil and streaming should be abolished or all that sort of stuff. My concern with streaming has always been that it's not a viable business model yeah. and it will all end in tears and that at the end of it, these things will end up in a much worse position than they were beforehand. That has always been my position. I feel like I've been somewhat vindicated and validated over the past couple of years, um, but I'm not I'm not saying that these shows don't have value. I'm not dismissing them creatively. I'm not saying that they aren't great. I'm not saying that I don't love them, to be clear. It is a criticism of the business practice yeah. of streaming and the economics of it and the factors that drive it, not of individual shows, individual creators, individual actors, all that sort of stuff. That out of the way, I do feel like the Prodigy situation is a great illustration of the limits of streaming, where Prodigy is... Prodigy is the only, since the first season of Star Trek Discovery, Prodigy is the only one of these streaming shows that is not aimed at existing fans. Yeah. Um, it's the first season of Star Trek Discovery, and I know that there are certain segments of the fandom who do not like it, and that is okay. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Everybody likes what they likes. The first season of Star Trek Discovery did feel like it was a bit of a cultural event. Uh, my parents watched that entire first season, which is incredible. Yeah. Uh, Matt Zoller Zeitz described it as like one of the best shows of the year. And that is a man who is like an actual critic who is one of the most important voices of his generation. Like it made an impact outside of the sphere of Star Trek fans. Um, and it, it kind of reached out in that way. And Prodigy was designed to be something similar. Prodigy was designed to be a show that would onboard new Star Trek fans. It was not aimed at people who knew Star Trek. It was aimed at like, particularly kids. And I love that I make it sound like some sort of weird cult initiation. Right? <laughs> where It's like, you know, send them into the room with a box set of Star Trek Prodigy and they'll come out as Star Trek fans. Yeah, and I yeah, think you that, mentioned that, this before to me, where it's like, yeah. this is how a transporter works. And then this yeah. is how this works. And yeah. this is yeah. how that goes. It, this it is, is. It's, it's, it's like, if you have never watched Star Trek <laughs> Prodigy, it's like, we got you covered. It's yeah. like, we will explain bit by bit how you build a star trek show you 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 old fogies in the back you've been watching star trek for about 60 years now you know 55 years however long it is um don't worry don't worry you don't need to worry about this but kids 
Here's what here's how yeah, here's how a replicator works. Here's what warp drive is. Here's how we go fast in the speed of light. Here's what space combat's like. Here's what being a captain's like. Here are the fundamental underpinnings of what a Star Trek show is. If you don't already know, that's the thing. That's the assumption there. Because obviously you watch Strange New Worlds and Strange New Worlds is predicated on the idea, well, you've already seen like 800 of these. You know how this works. Here's <laughs> here's another one, right? Yeah. Um, And I think it says something about streaming that like that model of Star Trek cannot survive on it. A version of Star Trek that is not aimed at existing fans cannot survive on streaming because streaming doesn't have a big enough pool for it to make an impression outside of the existing fan base, right? It can't break out on streaming, particularly it can't break out on Paramount Plus to make it even more explicit uh, in a way that would justify its survival outside of the fan base. Like, Star Trek The Next Generation as weird as this is to say, and as it gets weirder the further we get from it, Star Trek The Next Generation was not a cult TV show. It was not like a nerd TV. It was not a geek TV show. It was a phenomenon. Mm -hmm. It yeah. wasn't just Star Trek fans who watched Star Trek The Next Generation. Everybody watched Star Trek The Next Generation. That show somehow got an outstanding drama series nomination at the Emmys in its final season. It was that big a deal. It was a cultural phenomenon, right? Mm. Yep. That cannot exist now. Star Trek cannot be that now. Um, so as a result, as we mentioned, you're appealing primarily to the fan base. That fan base is getting smaller. It's getting older. It's moving on. Uh, it is very set in its ways. It knows what it's like. Uh, it doesn't really value experimentation as an end unto itself. It is wary and skeptical of new things. And so when something new like Prodigy arrives, it doesn't always get an enthusiastic welcome. And if it doesn't get a welcome from the existing fans, it kind of withers and dies on the vine. Um, and I actually think going to Netflix is probably the best thing for it, because as you said, like Netflix has this wonderful thing because Netflix still has a big pool of users. Things can catch on on Netflix that would die on smaller services. <laughs> well, the Suits, Cobra for example. Suits, yeah, well, well, Suits, is, Suits is the big one, but I mean, even something that died, like um, Cobra Kai, which did nothing on YouTube. Yeah. Because who who watches shows on YouTube? <laughs> but it arrives, it arrives on Netflix, and all of a sudden, everybody's watching it. You, I think, what, what was, was you on Living or somewhere like that? It, it was, was something on some, like that, yeah. Some sort of smaller network, and it arrives on Netflix, and all of a sudden, everybody's like, yeah, we got to have that sweet, sweet you. I don't think Prodigy is going to have the cultural impact of like Cobra Kai or you, but I hope that by introducing it into a larger ecosystem, it'll kind of like find a bigger fan base and it'll kind of find people, find an audience outside of the existing fan base. And I think that is my big fear because, and again, if you're a fan listening to this, you're probably thinking, well, that's, this isn't really my problem. I'm paying my $8 to Paramount Plus and I'm getting what I want from it. Um, and that's okay. I, I am happy for you. But I also think over the past couple of years, we have seen that that is not a sustainable business model. You are not paying enough. Your $8 every month is not enough to keep this afloat. And it's very telling that Kurt kind of alluded to it. We've all, we've seen a massive cutback in terms of content being created for Marvel. And I think that is in part a business decision that is made to avoid further diluting the brand. 
but I do also think it is a desperate attempt to get costs down because costs are not sustainable in this model because traditionally these services have been valued on growth. These streaming services are valued like fang. They're they're basically seen as tech companies. Um, for de- for over a decade, Netflix were able to go, look, we know we're making massive losses. We know we're taking on massive amounts of debt, but look, subscribers, growth, potential, baby. And Wall Street were like, that sounds like a good business plan. Makes great sense to me. Continue on about your day. Um, and it was only the great Netflix correction of last year where everything kind of went crazy, right? where Wall Street were kind of like, you know how you're you're losing huge sums of money every year and every quarter? Netflix like, yeah, yeah. You know, like we've been doing for the last year. Wall Street like, yeah, could you not do that? And Netflix <laughs> like, well, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, you, you look at things and you look at the services, they're all lost leaders. Like, they hemorrhage cash. Uh, Peacock hemorrhages cash for NBC, and they don't even do that much on Peacock. Yeah. Paramount plus hemorrhages cash for Paramount. Um, like, Max is a black hole. Disney Plus is a nightmare. It's a financial sinkhole for that company. So you're going to reach a stage where they're going to start cutting down on content. And they are going to start cutting down on the content that is tied to these brands. Like Star Wars, they've begun throttling Star Wars content. And I don't think that's the same issue as Marvel. I don't think they see the Star Wars content as being diluted in the same way that the Marvel content was. We've talked about this. Like, Star Trek content is already being throttled. We talked about like the cancellation of Prodigy. We talked about like the fact that they are canceling Discovery. That was not a planned decision. They're reshooting or they've reshot scenes for the finale to make it a series finale rather than a season finale. Um, That will continue on in the Starfleet Academy show, although whether or not that actually materializes, we're about 50-50. We talked about how they've like taken what what was supposed to be an entire spinoff that would presumably run multiple seasons starring Michelle Yeoh based around Section 31, how that is now going to be a one-and-done feature film, which sounds like, look, we've already invested in the pilot. Let's find a way to package this as best we can. And I mean, obviously, you have the situation with Star Trek Legacy, where, like, as much as I maybe do not care for the third season of Star Trek Picard, it's very clear that a large portion of the fan base loves it, and there's an enthusiastic response. And if this were three years ago, you would already have a three-season order for Legacy. Um, I think that the reason why they're being reticent to do that is not just the actor's strike and the writer's strike that we got out of, um, because I think that you would be you'd see more signaling along those lines if even even if that were the case. I think it's also that we, do we want to budget for this? Just on that, then do you? I mean, I, I've questioned this a couple of times. Right? Do you see a new? I mean, don't get me wrong, we're, we're speculating here a new kind of venture in that you're going to see more things like Section 31 in the Star Trek Legacy might be a, a, a collection of two-hour movies that are straight to streaming that, you know, you might get one or two a, a season or one or two a year or one or two every couple of years or something like that, in that they kind of use that as a way to, to test the waters to go, we don't want to spend too much money on it. We want it. it it's definitely got some viability, but... If we make it an event, like what the X Files was, was an event series. It was six episodes. Um, and on the flip side of that, do we think that things like I know we've talked a little bit about Strange New Worlds here, and I've had a debate recently about Strange New Worlds being ten episodes when you've got like the the fun episodes, you know, the the ones that are a bit quirky and stuff. 
is 10 episodes enough to really get that? And would would that benefit more from like a 16 episode season, for example, maybe stretch that out and then have these two hour ones or, you know, speculate away, Darren, is what I'm basically saying. What do you think to, to those kind of thoughts and, and how they might like sort of change the landscape in that way? To your point, like, I agree entirely. One of the big issues that I have with, like, Strange New Worlds being episodic is that, like, if you've got a cast of seven primary cast members and you've only got ten episodes and you have to do a season premiere, a season finale, and you have to assume that a good three of those episodes are going to be a pike, Ortegas, you are not going... Ortegas, Ortegas, for example. She, fly, she flies the ship, Kurt. That's <laughs> her job. She flies the ship. I That's know, her she personality. Flies she flies the ship. That's all you need to know about her. I love Ortega so much, and it, yeah. it sucks that the show doesn't do anything with her. But anyway, that is a digression. But yeah, that is that if you were to like trip a landmine to get Darren talking about his issues with Strange New Worlds, the fact that <laughs> the fact that it is like the fact that it's doing episodic television because 90s Star Trek was episodic, right? The thing that bugs me about that is that 90s Star Trek television was 26 episodes a season. So you could do anything. Like yeah, you could, could like you could get away with like doing uh, one little ship because you had just done was it like far beyond the stars and we're just about to do in the pale moonlight you could do times orphan because you had also done like statistical probabilities you could take these big swings and you could do these because you had to fill 26 episodes a season uh if you're only doing 10 it limits your options and it's like you need to think very carefully if you're doing an episodic show 10 episodes a season what your show is and why you're doing it i would make an argument if you're doing that your primary cast is three people you do something like say evil yeah. um you do something like you look at the shows that do that episodic shows that have shorter season orders in them they tend to be smaller ensembles because you cannot give everybody something to do in a 10-hour episodic season. Sorry, Kurt. Okay, well, that is interesting you mentioned Evil, because that's a show that's gone a bit strange in the fact that <laughs> it was episodic, and it's yeah. then gone to streaming, and Fair. it's become yeah. more fluid, which is interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. but uh, I, I do like Evil, I have to say. Um, I do, actually. I love Evil. I think it's great. <laughs> great show. Great. It is. Um, but, like, so to, back to your point, though, about what I expect, I do not expect we'll see added season orders. I don't expect we'll see. I don't expect we'll see any seasons getting longer. I do not expect that we will see more content in general. I do not expect that. We, like, I suspect we will see a massive throttling of content. Um, mm. to be honest. Um, and I think that always on Star Trek. And look, I may be wrong here, but I suspect that always on Star Trek may be a dream of the past. I suspect we may go to a circumstance where. You have one live action show, one streaming show, and one event movie. Sorry, one animated show and one uh, streaming event a yeah, year. Yeah, um, that's kind of where I see us going, which is strange given how much of it there was. Like, just I remember when the pandemic was on, and it was pretty much it was very close to fifty-two consecutive weeks of Star Trek, it was, where you yeah. were just bouncing from like Discovery to Picard to Strange New Worlds to Lower Decks, back to Discovery, back to Picard. Like, and you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, it's a good time. It's nice. Like, it's it's kind of... But then again, on the other hand, you have a situation where it's like, when you did actually have two 26-episode seasons of Star Trek um, in the 90s, there was a sense of this, this gets exhausting. I really enjoy season six of Deep Space Nine. I really enjoy season four of Voyager. But there is a point where it's like, I feel like I just need to lie down after a certain <laughs> point. Um, but I, I do think I do think you'll see throttling. That is my my primary guess, is that I don't think they'll go away. 
I think they're too valuable. I think the IPs are far too valuable to be allowed to rest. I think Star Trek will be fine. Star Trek is to its perhaps to its credit always been a kind of a lower key franchise mm. than something like Star Wars or Marvel in that like as somebody who works in the entertainment sphere the fates of the Star Wars and Marvel franchises are keenly debated by everybody who has their eye on the business you know is, have we entered Marvel fatigue? Has Marvel Studios finally had a bomb? What is the studio going to do next? What does the next roadmap look like? Yeah. How are they going to deal with the Kang problem? It's continuous go, go, go all the time. Even as somebody who works in that sphere, it is exhausting. I think it's nice that Star Trek isn't quite at that like pop ubiquity. Yeah. So those news cycles and those news stories don't affect it as much. Where like it feels like the fan base, I again. I'm I'm old enough. You and I are both very old, Kurt. Um, or I, I I'm very old. You're 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 young and handsome and vital. Well, um, you know, I feel you, like I've lived a full entire lifetime, like in the inner light. But that's <laughs> that's another story. You um yeah you you may be too young to remember this, Kurt. But I I do remember when um when Enterprise ended and that strange feeling of like Star Trek's going away mm-hmm. yeah. and it may never come back. Yeah. Um, I do not see that happening. I don't think we live in a world where that is even possible. Anymore. Like, even if Star Trek does, quote unquote, go away, it'll be at most like two or three years before some executive is like, well, let's try a movie again. Let's try a streaming event again. Let's try a show. Let's do a reunion. Um, I don't I think for better or for worse in this IP derived, like content driven age we live in, I don't think Star Trek is ever going to die. I think it's less likely to die than it was when Star Trek Enterprise ended back in 2005, 2006-ish. Um, but I do I do imagine we'll get a lot less of it. I do imagine that we'll see a kind of a tempering down. And I um, think that's where I was coming from with like, not necessarily maybe the legacy thing, but, but legacy. In my head, I've always had like, I remember watching the Next Generation when I was when I was younger, and it was the BBC, and it was on at six o'clock at night, and and you know when it started, I was like eight years old, so I'd, I'd caught it a little bit late. I think around about the best of both worlds is probably where I started to really get into it, and I started by uh, there was a whole ten, and I remember when I got a little bit older, there was the whole ten movie D, um, video yeah, VHS the collection, set. the collections. You know, you've got Chain of Command, you've got like best of both worlds, you've got yeah, all those and Gambit. And, uh, Remember yeah, Gambit, Gambit? Everybody yeah, loves Gambit. Gambit yeah, <laughs> um, so, and the, the obviously encounter at Farpoint, and I think that's always percolating in my head a little bit with the legacy thing. It's like, especially with the Section Thirty One, and I'm not saying that will happen, but I think you saying like event series or event like moments of like a Section Thirty One show that's going to be a two hour special, or you get a legacy that's a two hour special, or you get like even. You know, when Discovery goes off air, maybe you get a two-hour special. You know, those type of things, I think, would, would maybe fill that hole a little bit more than what we get now. And I'd say drawing that back. And obviously, animation's a little bit cheaper. You've got lower decks maybe finishing next season. There's been hints at that. We don't know if that's the case, but there's definitely been hints five at the Five seasons seems to be a kind yeah. of a good run, to be fair. That seems to be like where it five is the new seven, baby. Yeah. Um, which is odd because it's like, what does syndication even matter now? It, it's mm. a thing where Netflix have calculated like three seasons is the ideal. They've done the maths, apparently formulaic in terms of formula. If you're a streaming show for Netflix, 30 episodes, uh, three 10 episode seasons, that's the maximum profit 
space for most of these shows which is why so many of them end at that point even if they shouldn't uh because the netflix algorithm's like yeah the, the, the anything after that you're just flushing money down the toilet it's it's apparently long enough that if you're strolling through and you see a show last three seasons you're like well it's probably not going to end abruptly but it's also not too long that you're like nah, i don't feel like i need the energy to invest in that it's i think five seasons may end up being it for the star trek shows i think that like Five is the new seven when it right. comes to the so Star Trek. Thank you for, for joining us on this uh, on this supplemental. I think it's been a, a really interesting discussion. I'm glad we've got some of the, uh, you know, we even snuck in some Doctor Who there, which was which was quite good. Uh, you know. <laughs> Can I, just on the Doctor Who thing, like yeah. you, you're you're okay, Kirk, because obviously this is a weird thing where it's in in the US and internationally, it's all on Disney Plus. In the UK, it's obviously a you know, it's a ta- it's a taxpayer TV license player. It's on the BBC iPlayer. I live in Ireland. <laughs> we fall in a grey zone. We do not have the BBC iPlayer because we are not members of like the, you know, we're not members of Great Britain. Uh, we don't pay tax to the British government, uh, but we're also apparently part of the, as far as um, Disney are concerned, we're parts of the Great Britain and Ireland is where we are. So we I fall know. into a okay, Doctor Who grey zone. I didn't yeah, know that. Fall, okay. Yeah, we were part of the same region because um, obviously we speak the same language. So all of our DVDs and stuff get shipped to the UK and then shipped over to us. Um, so in terms of internationally, we are not our own market. We're not big enough. So we exist in this weird gray space of Doctor Who. Again, this is that thing where it's like all of Star Trek except Prodigy. It's like, <laughs> don't worry, all of the world except Ireland will be able to watch Doctor Who on either the BBC iPlayer or Disney+. Plus. It's a, It's an amazing example of how weird this kind of, again, this digital frontier yeah. thing can be amazing isn't it? so we, the world is so much smaller nowadays but so much problems still exist But thank you very much, Darren, for, for doing this. Much appreciated. I know it's a bit more broader than what we normally talk about because we normally talk about the general things. But um, but yeah, hopefully it's been a pleasure to to talk to you about the, the streaming landscape in Star Trek. Been a joy. Hopefully the listeners enjoyed it. Hopefully it didn't bore yourself either. Sorry. No, I, I, mean, I absolutely enjoyed it. You know, it's great. It's great I get to talk about Marvel and uh, and everything. Star Wars and Star Trek and everything else. So it, we didn't you know, talk nice that much about Taylor to... Sheridan, which is like I think it's underrated. Like people think of streaming as this like young person like genre franchise game, and then quietly it's like no, we got Kevin Costner and Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford over here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. Right. Well, anyway, thank you very much. Where can people find you online if they're looking for you? Perfect. You can find me at, at Darren Mooney on Twitter, at Darren underscore Mooney at Twitter. Um, underscore is an underscore, not the word underscore. Um, I'm talking about movies or whatever. You can find me. I'll have all sorts of crazy opinions. Feel free to yell at me, jump in, share an opinion. Um, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm right. Tell me that the terrible pun I made was very funny. Any of those ideas are all good options. Um, I also host a podcast with my good friend, Andrew Quinn. As this is coming out, we're coming into January, I believe. He says, right? Yeah, New Year's Day, we're going to release this to um, the main world. Yep. Fantastic. So, as that's coming out, do you know what day of the week January January 1st is? Uh, it's, it's. I love a, how every time Monday, I have a new challenge for you. Fantastic. Okay, that is a new challenge. Yeah, because you know, I'm normally ahead of you on that. But yes, uh, New Year's New Year's Day. I'm sure it is a Monday. It's a Monday. It? Fantastic. Okay, so yes, it is a Monday. Yeah. The day, uh, the previous Saturday, 
we will have released our episode covering The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King with the fantastic Deirdre Malumbi, who I believe has been a guest on the network here. Uh, she is fan- fantastic. She's phenomenal. Um, we will be talking, obviously, about that classic Peter Jackson's finale of his Lord of the Rings trilogy. And then next weekend, uh, we'll be returning to Haddonfield. Yes, that's right. It is January 2024. And it is still all Oween on the 250 podcast. The podcast <laughs> I go my good friend, Andrew Quinn. Uh, and we will be talking about David Gordon Green's 2018 Halloween starring Jamie Lee Curtis reprising the role. And joining us for that discussion, we'll have the fantastic Charlene Lyon, the wonderful Brent Murphy. Um, yeah, so you can join us there. And if you have made it this far, um, up until recently, I was a pop culture writer at a site called The Escapist. Uh, it was great. It was the best job in the world. I got to write about pop culture uh, several times a week. Uh, it was great. People, And it seemed like people enjoyed it and people responded to it. And it was great. Just fun to engage in the culture and to have a space where I could write and talk about things that I cared about um, and get paid for it, which is just like the dream. To be in a sustainable yeah. like job in this industry that I love writing about stuff that I care about. Uh, that ended Um Abruptly, uh, a couple of months ago, I was very surprised. It it came as a surprise to me. You can Google and get the particulars of it. It's not really worth going into here. Uh, but basically, myself and a bunch of the video team from The Escapists have launched a Second Wind group. Uh, we are on Patreon at the moment. We will also be releasing on YouTube. So give us a follow there. I am doing at the moment, as we're recording this, this is very much we are building the train and the tracks under the train as we speak. So <laughs> I, what I'm saying now may not be valid in January. I don't know what the situation or landscape is. But as I am recording, we are on YouTube and I am hosting a new version of a show. It's called The Backdrop. It's a continuation of a show that I used to hold at the host at The Escapist, but I don't believe I can mention for copyright purposes. Uh, but it will be an in-depth video essay uh, once or you know once every one or two weeks that will look at a particular topic in the film industry. It can be something as broad as, you know, how streaming broke writing on your favorite franchises or something more particular like, oh, here's what's great about the framing of Emerald Fennel's Promising Young Woman. Uh, our first episode will be looking at Godzilla, Monarch, and the relationship between the American and Japanese versions of the monster. Uh, and I will also be writing columns at the Patreon. So if you are subscribed for $5, you can get at least two columns from me every week. Sometimes more, because I have lots of opinions about stuff. Um, I know it's a lot to ask. Really? I would never thought you would have opinions, I, Darren. I, I've never seen any opinions no, from you. What, how, how long has this episode been running now? <laughs> an, hour, an hour and 40 minutes I or something. I am so sorry. <laughs> um, it's fine. But, but yeah, you can get my opinions on things there as well um check those out that's at five dollars i know it's a lot to ask people to subscribe i know that we're you know in a recession i know that inflation is increasing i know cost of living's up uh and i'm irish so i always feel embarrassed asking people for money um but if you do want to contribute please do um it would mean a lot to us and it being honest the outpouring of support has been incredible uh very humbling um even as an irishman as a stoic irishman it's been just incredible to see um, good stuff and and second wind has um, has literally taken off i've i've been watching from the from the sides and uh, seeing seeing how how much that's uh, quickly become a it's thing incredible. and uh, like, it's, it's, it's been amazing how the Nick, response yeah. to it has um, been really really good the editor nick uh yatsi who's the the talent there frost the editor um marty the editor there and like jam eight and stuff like that like it's incredible like those guys hit the ground i am just in awe um, of the work that they've done. I, it's not good form to like praise the organization that you're part of, but I think it's fair to say like that is a dream team. And I'm just, I'm thrilled to be there. I'm like the Danny Trejo in Heat is how I describe myself. 
And then oh, we're like, the, those guys are having the, the big, yeah, they're having the big meeting. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Why not? I, I'll, I'll do what I can. Um, <laughs> I'm here too. <laughs> Great stuff. I'm going to have to go and watch Heat now. That is a three hour movie that I, I need <laughs> to go back. Movie. I can see it in, the, in my eyeline as well. Yeah. Um, yeah so um, you can find me on Twitter at rmuldrake. It's R-M-U-L-D-R-A-K-E. Best place, though, if you're wanting to see what I'm up to, is on Linktree. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash rmuldrake. Um, so, yeah, so plenty of more Star Trek stuff to come. It's been a little bit of time before I've actually done a supplemental, um, mainly because of the writer's strike and a few other things behind the scenes that's been going on. We've been concentrating a lot on X-Files and things like that as well. Um, so, yeah, so hopefully some more supplementals will come. Hopefully you'll, enjoy, you'll have enjoyed what we've been talking about here. You've got some great content because supplementals generally are more of a half an hour show but sorry. I, thought, I haven't haven't done one for a while I'm, so I'm going to get the master of the hour and a half in and Darren is as as uh, delivered as, as expected that's what we're aiming for so, tantric podcasting um, it can't be a bit of tantric podcasting can't be a bit of that so yeah so find us find us there and also on patreon if you've already listened to us um you are on the patreon so thank you very much it's been a pleasure to uh, be able to give you this content early and for those people who are joining us in 2024 and waiting for any news on any new Star Trek um, and obviously other shows and the like, then please uh, have a have a thought and maybe come and join us over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash, wait for this, Darren, Star Trek Legacy Podcast. Isn't that original? It's no Jean-Luc Poddard, which is our Twitter say, handle. I have to say, like, I'm not, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give you guys advice on this, but I'm just saying, Jean-Luc Poddard is maybe the greatest title <laughs> in like the history of Star Trek themed titles. That should well, you be can the... still find us on Twitter there. It's a, it's a, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm just it still saying, exists. Saying like that double your Patreon. Like that that's it's like I, I see that title. I'm like, these guys know what they're doing. I'm like Star Trek Legacy Podcast. I'm like, okay, I get what the message is here. But what is what like what is their vision? And I hear Jean-Luc Poddard and I'm like, okay, I got it. I got everything I need. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at Jean Poddard as well. Nice. So there's definitely that's actually cool. some brand awareness. Keeping it real. Exactly. Um, so yeah. So thank you very much, Darren, for joining us. Thank you everyone for listening. And until next time, I'm going to set a course and engage. As, because because I am on supplemental, I can do whatever I want, which is great. <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind getting your comment really on because uh, I was listening to another podcast that Tony actually is on, and he mentioned about uh, Fincher and the Killer, and that he likes Netflix because he gives him the ability to play things in 4K. Which going back to your comment on the Star Wars stuff was interesting because they might be giving him the chance to do it on 4K, but. It's kind of like you don't really get, especially some of the bandwidth issues that Netflix can come sometimes have. It's and quite an unusual dichotomy in that he's saying that he's getting the freedom to actually work within those realms, but at the same time, you're on a service that throttles that quite a bit. You've given me the opportunity to talk about like the killer on Netflix as part of a streaming discourse. I apologize in advance for this, but... <laughs> well, I told you, this is going after the credits then. <laughs> so there's post-credits. And it's like, how is the post-credits sequence longer than the actual show, <laughs> asked the listener. Um, what I think is really interesting about the killer is if you wanted to, and if you were extremely generous, and if you were to take a step back, and all of that said, 
Watching the killer, it kind of feels like David Fincher is feeling very sorry about accidentally creating Netflix. Like if you watch, <laughs> no, if you watch that movie, like it, it's that and it's Mank, right? So the obviously Fincher has this incredible career. He's one of the great movie directors ever. He's a an auteur, a legend, a filmmaker, one of the best of his generation, and. So many of his early movies are defined by this sort of cynicism, this Fight Club-esque cynicism of, ah, I don't care. Why do I care? You know, I just make movies. That's what I do. Like, I don't really have an ideology. I mostly just point at other people and say how silly their ideology is. Like, mm. Gone Girl is his great movie about marriage. And the context of that movie is you'll never really know anybody, even the person you claim to love and live your life with. And you may even dream of cracking her skull open and unspooling her brains. That's what marriage is. Like, Fincher has this kind of, very cynical view of the world. Then around about like 2014, 2013, that's when Gone Girl comes out. He goes off and he does House of Cards. And House of Cards is this massive success and it changes everything. And you will notice House of Cards looks a lot like Netflix. The way the show is produced, the cinematography, the style of it sets the prototype for what every streaming show looks like in the way that it's lit, the way that it's shot. Um, to the point where like it feels like so much of Netflix's streaming is just discount Fincher. And obviously he goes on and he does Mindhunter with them. But he basically figure, discovers that the entire industry has changed out from under him. Uh, he used to work at Sony. He was a big Sony guy. And again, he sees himself as this work for hire type. Throughout Fincher's career, he's always been the guy. Like as much as he's this artisanal, um, you know, auteur who makes very distinct movies that are very clear in their themes and sensibilities he's also the guy who's like yeah but i could also make like world war z with brad pitt right it's like hey sony you guys are pitching like a spider-man movie i have some ideas for that or you know kathleen kennedy's like hey dave want to come over and pitch for star wars like yeah sure why not like none of those projects ever really get off the ground none of them ever really happen but he's not like He's not Spielberg or he's not Nolan. He's not this person who's precious about his brand and his identity. And so you look at like Mank and you look at the killer. Mank, he makes what, six years after Gone Girl? The longest break in his career, the longest he's gone without making a feature film. Um, and that movie is a movie written by his father. And it's about how all directors are hacks and writers are the real geniuses. Like, it's basically this story about how Orson Welles, the most auteurish auteur in the history of cinema, a man to whom Fincher has been directly compared with the social network being likened to Citizen Kane, a man who in the movie is styled not unlike Fincher with his distinctive goatee, who, and again, to the point about Fincher, notable as being the rare auteur director who does not have a single screenwriting credit on any of his movies, to be absolutely clear, <laughs> Mank is a movie about how, hey, directors are hacks, writers do the real work, and like that's where real creativity begins. Um, and more broadly, it, Mank is also about the idea of this cynical person who's in Hollywood who is considers himself a work for hire. Mank sees himself as this guy who just keeps the wheels rolling. He works within the studio system. He does what he's supposed to do. He keeps his head down. He's smarter than everybody else. He's oh so cynical. He's very clever, but he doesn't really have any principles. He doesn't really take any stands. He just observes and watches and says funny, witty things that make powerful people laugh. And then the course of Mank is him realizing oh shit, I fucked the industry. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's him realizing that like Hollywood has broken America and that the system is fundamentally collapsing into itself and that maybe cynicism isn't the best response for that, particularly like the Upton Sinclair stuff played by Bill Nye the science guy. <laughs> and then you get to the killer, right? Yeah. And the killer is the story of this guy who spends all day lining up one perfect shot. 
and then it gets screwed at the last minute. Uh, And you're like, this feels very autobiographical about Fincher. But crucially, the heart of the killer is this idea of the killer seeing himself as a work for hire. Like he has this big monologue at the start where he's like, look, if you can pay my fee, if you can give me the money to do what I want to do, I don't care what you want. I'm not going to ask any questions about what you're doing. I'm not going to give any concerns about like the consequences of my action. I don't give a fuck. Um, And the entire point of the movie is, despite the fact the killer keeps telling himself that, he clearly does care and it clearly does affect him and it clearly does mess him up that he does this work for hire job that is horrible and brutal and unpleasant and does terrible things. And I'm watching Mank and I'm watching like the killer and I find myself thinking, this feels a little bit like Fincher has complicated feelings about like accidentally creating Netflix. <laughs> like being like, yeah, sure, I'll go and make House of Cards for this big bag of money. What harm could that possibly do to the industry in which I work? And then slowly realizing, oh, fuck. Um, yeah. Sorry. No, sorry. That's, uh, that's great. That, that's amazing. Because <laughs> um, going, I'd say going to the overall to Noel and saying exactly that, that you need to see it on Blu-ray because they'll probably take it off streaming. Like is what you've talked about before, actually, with with uh, the fact of content. You know, it's just kind of the needs... You need to own it, and and yeah. that's what um, Nolan was about. So, yeah, I mean, streaming's a it's a it's a big beast to tackle, and I'm glad that we've talked about the varying aspects of it. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think people need to see Fincher now and uh, and see how they get on with it. <laughs>